The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. Jesus had already used that phrase when the woman says, I know there's a Messiah coming. He goes, I am. Right? But he's just, he's not, he's saying he's the Messiah there, not necessarily God in that, at that moment. But you have to also realize that he uses that phrase four more times in this chapter where he does mean the I am of the Old Testament. He uses it 21 times in the book of John. This being the second one, I think, I think John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and Jesus' actual words he chose to use, were setting the people up for what he's going to teach when he gets over to Capernaum. The seven I am's that are often taught out of the book of John. A main one's just about to happen where he says, I am the bread of life. You can't disconnect that statement from what happened on this shore of the Sea of Galilee where he provides the bread. Over here he says, I'll get ahead and then I'll be preaching that sermon. So you can't disconnect these events like, stop, this event, then that. They are connected. So even though he's using it to let them know, hey, this is Jesus here, this isn't a ghost. I believe Jesus used those words, that word, those words, and on purpose. He's preparing the audience. Okay? If you've ever re- read a great author, I'm, I'm actually listening to right now David Copperfield Dickens, okay? and, and he's very wordy, all right? but he's always setting you up for something later in the story. He might be giving you a detail about a dog, but later that's going to show up in the story. Okay? So, so uh, uh, the greatest author there is is the Holy Spirit. And he uses these fellows and sets us up for that. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, Wednesday night folks are going to get this. It's in the present imperative. Now, it is present imperative middle instead of active, those of you there on Wednesday night. Okay, present imperative. What's imperative mean? Command. He commands them not to be afraid. He doesn't ask. It is I, don't be afraid. Let me put it another way. The ability to obey the command is found in his presence. The fact that he's there when he says, don't be afraid, I've solved the problem for you, I'm here. It is in present tense, which is continual, habitual, ongoing. I am here, don't be afraid, and don't ever be afraid. I command that. Now, in Matthew Mark, they, they tell us some other information. It is I. Be courageous, if I could say it like that. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that saying the same thing? No. One's telling you to stop doing one thing. Take courage tells you to do something else. Okay? And remember, this is in the present tense. It is habitual, ongoing. So, take courage, don't be afraid. Continual. We know that when I say walk the walk, what do I mean by that? Live the life. Live this way. We learned that Paul uses that, particularly in in, uh, Galatians. 
All right, walk in the Spirit, that daily live, continually, habitually live in the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, continually, habitually, walk courageously, live boldly, and don't be afraid. Why? Because I am here. So they were willing to receive him into the boat. The fear went away. They were willing when they didn't realize it was Jesus, they weren't willing. When they recognize it's Him and He commands the situation, now they're willing. His presence banished the fear. So much so, not only were they willing to Him get in the boat, willing, it didn't say He did right there, He was willing to, they were willing to. So much did it cast the fear away that Peter goes, uh, if you can command fear to go away, and this is what Peter's words, command me to come to you. Because he knows if, if Jesus commands it, it's going to be done. He doesn't say, ask me. Uh, well, why don't you ask me to come on out to you? No, command me to come out to you. Well, the fear is gone. I mean, I mean, to the point of insanity, if I could say it like that. All right? Normal, you don't have to be afraid when you're on a boat. Okay? But it's crazy to get out and think you can walk on water. But he knows if Jesus commands it, he watched the fear go away. Mm, yeah, command me to come out on you. I'm going to take this another step, literally. And, and as we know, he does get out of the boat. The storms are not over. The wind and the waves, he gets his eyes off of Christ. You've all heard sermons on that before. Okay, and begins to sink. Jesus breaks up his hand. Picks him up, and they walk together in the storm back to the boat. Jesus doesn't go, well, you know, now that you found me, you can have your best life now. We stopped the storm. Uh, yeah. And immediately, they were at the other side. But the Bible tells us in the other Gospels, when they do get in the boat, the storm goes, whoop! At the same moment, immediately when they get in the boat, they're teleported across the lake. No more rowing. The struggle that you had throughout the night, it's gone. This tells me this, though, that Jesus was in control of the situation, the event, the whole time. Let's back up. As we talked about last time, as Jesus, when this, it says, and he knew what he was going to do. Remember, these events are secret events, but this whole thing's tied together. When he knew he was going to feed 5,000, when he asked Philip, uh, man, where could you buy food for people around here? He asked this because they knew what he was intending to do. When he told them, you get on the boat and cross, why not wait? Because he wanted to make sure they were on the boat alone. The last time they were in the storm, he was with them. They could see him. Now, he was sleeping. Another time he's exhausted. But this time they want to make sure. I'm putting you out in the storm alone. This time he doesn't verbally command. Remember when he calms the storm, he speaks to the storm. Well, he actually speaks to peace. He says, peace, be still. Peace, settle here. That stops the storm. Okay, he doesn't speak at the storm. He just tells peace to settle there. Okay? Here he never says a word about a storm. Okay? As soon as he's in the boat with them this time, 
the storm stops, and they're immediately on the other side of the lake. Now, people want to play this miracle down. Well, immediately. Uh, it just means they finished their trip. That's not immediately. Okay, if you're halfway across, even without the storm, it's going to take a while to row. Okay? The storm complies to the will of the sun. He didn't have to say anything. I have this all planned out. The storm came because that's what I wanted. And the storm leaves because that's what I intended to do. When he gets in the boat, the storm stops. It does exactly what he intended it to do. Now listen to this. He told them to go to the other side. He gets in the boat, and the boat itself does what he intended it to do. It's on the other side. He didn't have to say anything. This is my plan. This is what I've got laid out to happen, and it does. He doesn't say, a boat, move, or whatever he would say to a boat, okay, to get command, whatever. All right? It just is. Okay? On the application side, Jesus intentionally sends them into the storm. That's hard for us to accept. See, God doesn't, doesn't look at and says, oh, there's going to be a storm, so I'll do this. By him and through him were all things created, and in him all things consist. It has their being in who he is. The storm has its being in who he is. He sends them into the storm. That has, I know that messes with some people's theology. God would never send you into the storm, trial, difficulty, because he wants you to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, happy, all that other stuff. But in this case, it's not a life-threatening storm. In the calming of the storm, the guys are afraid they're going to die. They actually look at Jesus, don't you care we're going to die? That's not the case here. The thing that brought them fear was they thought they saw a ghost. They've been in the four-foot waves before. So, so it's, it's just a storm like fishermen face. It's everyday life. But it is exhausting. Hours, hours of rowing, Okay? At times, I'm sure, like, they felt like, is this ever going to end? I mean, right? if I could just see the light of day. Oh, see the light of day. We got that far? They got the blisters. Somebody has to have blisters. Even if you're switching off every hour, somebody's got blisters. All right? They're, they're, it's physically difficult, okay? When you, when you fish, you don't go necessarily out when you know there's a storm. Now, we know Peter fished all night caught nothing the guys did but you didn't do that in four foot waves in the midst of this when it feels like I'm not making any progress it's hard I, I, I can't see where we're going uh, we're out of control of this situation and I'm sure they're off course I mean it might have been X miles straight across but by this point who knows it, it, life hasn't taken them where they thought it was going to go in the midst of that, Jesus says, it is I. That first, the dim light, the situation, causes them not to see it. How is that different than when Peter got out of the boat? See, when Peter got out of the boat, he could see Jesus, but he got his eyes off of Jesus. These guys, in this incident, never even got their eyes on him. 
When they did see him, they couldn't see him through it. Wait a minute. People don't walk on water. When I see people on water, they're in a boat. So my situation's telling me that's got to be something else. They don't even recognize Jesus in the midst of the situation because of the situation. But Jesus says, hey, here I am. In the midst of it, here I am. And the word he gives them, we've already talked about, take courage, do not be afraid. Did you know that's the same word here, and I'll give it to you. The same word in John 16, 33. I think you've probably heard this before. In this world you will have tribulation. But take courage, or be of good cheer in the King James, but that's the same word, take courage. It is in the present imperative. Active present imperative in that case. In this world you will have storms, but continue to walk in courage, to walk boldly. For I have overcome the world. I have overcome the storm. You've seen me do it before, guys. Hello. It's the same word that God gives to Paul when he says, take courage, you're going to Rome. This is where you're going to die. Take courage because you're going there. Paul knew, you read, Paul knew what was going to happen to him there. It is what the disciples said to blind Barnabas when he was crying out. Son of David, he's crying out. Other people tell him to shut up. Disciples go, now nah, we've been down this road before, buddy. Take courage. Jesus said it to the lame man when he goes to heal him and tells him to take courage as he tells him to get up. Again, every time, present, active, imperative. Not take courage to get up. Get up and keep on living this way. Amen. Says it to the woman with the issue of blood after she is healed. When she crawls through the crowd and touches him, he tells her the same thing. Now go live this way, habitually, continually, without fear, in courage, in boldness. Isaiah 41 and 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. I, I could say that's almost what Jesus said. It's I, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I'll, I'll leave that for a minute. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Your rowing isn't going to get it done. Your effort isn't enough. I'm the one, your God, who is here, who will get it done. Amen. In you, through you. Okay? Why did Jesus do this? Because Jesus often waits to reveal himself when we're exhausted. What do I mean by that? Well, when the storms of life have beat your boat, you've rowed till your strength is up and your hands are sore, okay? It wasn't a test to see how far you can row, okay? Too often, too often, 
our hearts have to be prepared for God to reveal something about himself to us. We, we're not there yet. We, and, and so he allows us, allows nothing. He, he just calls the storm into existence because he's God and sends you out in the boat into it. To prepare your heart when he wants to show you something about himself. Not how tough you are. Did you know I rode for that? How many hours did you row? No, no, no. Not about works. It's about God showing you who Jesus is. That's what it's about. In Mark 6, when this event ends in Mark, it says this. They, the disciples, were astonished for they had not gained any insight from the event of the loaves, but their heart, singular, not their hearts, each guy. As a group, they were hard. Jesus' own church was a little hard-hearted. Okay? They, they were amazed because they didn't say they were amazed when they collected five or 12 baskets full of stuff. Okay? They're, they're amazed here. They, what, what hardened their heart? I'm not sure. But as a group, the whole event of feeding the thousands didn't impact them. I would suggest to you, because the other people, he was meeting their hunger. And watching God do it in others ain't the same as when he does it to you. When you go through the hunger, when you go through the storm, when you go through the war, all of a sudden, theology is great. When you get in the midst of it, that's when the theology matters. Who Christ is matters. Okay? And in these, God reveals himself usually to us in a new way, okay? Here they see he's the guy who can walk on water. That's a new one, all right? And I, again, I think the, the implication between the two stories is Jesus commands the winds and the waves, and he says, who is this that the wind and waves obey him? You'll see a different response here. It's not, who is this that the winds obey him? Because he never says anything to the wind, okay? They see him as the one who delivers. They saw that before. Okay? But they, they see that nature and circumstances must comply to his plan. Why? So that he is glorified. He's the one that's victorious. He's the one that did this. He's the one that delivers. Here's their response to here. Remember, let's, let's compare the response when he calmed the storm. Who is this or what kind of man is this? That the wind and waves obey. What kind of what? Man. Listen to the response here, okay, in Matthew 14 and 30, 33, okay? Those who were in the boat, we know who they were, worshiped him, saying, You are surely God's son or the Son of God. You went from a man who can calm him to God himself. They learned something new about Jesus here. He wasn't just the king of Israel. He wasn't just the prophet. He just wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't just a man that controls the wind and the wave. He was the Son of God. He was God walking on water. Amen. Remember why Paul writes, or John writes this, excuse me. That you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. Jesus wanted these men to have life. 
not a Messiah, not a king, a life, eternal life, real life, true life, when they understood that he was the Son of God. I'm going to ask you today, do you realize that? I'll put it up. Are you willing to let him in the boat? Just remember this. All circumstances comply to his will. The question is this. How big of a storm will you have to go through before you comply? This is why when I call people to Jesus Christ, I say it this way. Surrender your life to him. Because it's going to happen if he wants it to happen. He will chase you to the ends of the earth. Nobody goes to find Jesus, by the way. You're the lost one. He comes to the lost sheep. He chases you down, puts you on his back, and carries you home. He doesn't go, here, sheepy, 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 follow me home. You read that story. He puts the sheep onto his shoulders and takes him home. Always his sheep. Okay? Today, are are you willing to say he is God in the flesh? If that's the case, you've got to deal with the cross. So you don't just stop there. You don't say, yeah, I believe he's, he's God. <laughs> then you've got to go. You've got to go. Then you, what do you do with the guy on the cross? What's that all about? As a song we sing, it's about a divine exchange. His perfect righteousness for my storm, my sin, for my wickedness, we trade that. Okay, I receive his righteousness. So when I stand before God, what he sees is Christ's righteousness, not mine. His perfection, not mine. And he took my sin on the cross to bear God's wrath that I rightfully, justly deserve. He could do that because he was fully, truly God and fully truly man. So what manner of man commands the sea? The same manner of man that is also God in this story. So in those two stories of a storm, we see Jesus as a man and we see Jesus as God. And in both cases, the storms have to obey. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. All time, all history has to to comply with that declaration. At that moment, all my sin was done away with. All of it. Immediately I was teleported to the other side. I was made a new creature. When? On the cross. That's where it was finished. My sin had no option. Well, what if you'd have died before this point in time when you gave surrender, however you want to put it? Not possible. All time, all space, all weather, all matter is in control by God. I could not die until that point came because he had finished it on the cross and everything had to comply with his declaration. When he says, I know, your sins I know no more as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered, guess what? The only one that's going to remember is you and the devil. Well, maybe a friend. Maybe not a friend, okay? When he said it's gone, it's gone. That's it. The boat has to move, the storm has to quit, and the sin has to go away. Your name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and there's no eraser on the pencil. Why? Because he has made it that way. Now, I know some of you have a theological problem with that. 
tell that to the wind in the boat. But I do call you today, whether you're watching or listening, surrender. You may not be in a life-threatening storm, but if you don't surrender, you will be in one. My sheep know me, and they hear my voice. There's no option. That, by the way, that's chapter 10. Okay? When he calls, you will heed. Well, then why don't I just laugh like I am now, and then I will someday? Yeah, yeah you, you, you sure you want to go through that? If you've ever read the story of Corey Ten Boom, in a Nazi camp, World War II, right? It's in that camp when her sister dies, and when, and when the light comes on for Corey. Uh, I'm not sure I want to go through that one. I'll just surrender now when the life storms are the way they are. And, I, and yeah, I get exhausted and I can't see the light of day. And I think when I do, I still can't, can't see hope. I'll take him now. Surrender. Let him in the boat. Because eventually, he's getting in. Let's stand. I tell people I did not... Look for God. I wasn't seeking God. I did not find God. He chased me down, tackled me, and drugged me to his house. And what I went through to get there, you wouldn't want to go through. Okay? And I grew up in church. I just never surrendered. Not until he made me surrender. Hmm. Father, I thank you that in your word we find life because there we find you. It reveals who you are, reveals how you relate to creation, to us, to each other in the Trinity. God, I thank you that you are the man that calms the sea, and you are God who wills the sea. God, I thank you that you are patient in your grace and your mercy as we see apparitions instead of you, that we see the circumstances instead of you. But you're patient, you're merciful. But God, you call us to repentance. You demand it, you command it. God, today I ask for your Holy Spirit to continually, habitually pursue, convict, those whom you've called from eternity. Father, today I ask for the many that now will, this day, surrender to your lordship and kingship over all things, including their life. I give you thanks, God, for those who are surrendering even now. For you do it, not my preaching. It is your work, entirely you and you alone. I thank you, God, for your sovereign grace. Amen. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.